then ask any uh, healthcare economist, and they will tell you, taking taking litigation off the table for the moment, they will tell you that the biggest single factor driving medical health care costs during the course of the last 30 years in the United States have been the cost of, of prescription drugs and medical devices and technologies. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites, uh, another blog called Media Law, and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, today's show is again sponsored by Clio. It's a web-based practice management software at goclio.com and Landy Insurance, legal malpractice for lawyers at landy.com. Bob, today's show is MedMal reform. And when we say that, many lawyers just cringe um, with the issue of medical liability reform coming up in President Obama's speech on health care reform in front of Congress. It was met with boos from Democrats and a standing ovation from Republicans, which was the word out here in Orange County. Uh, in his effort to push his health care reform ahead, he makes medical liability reform a part of his health care plan. And Obama is trying to reach across party lines. Well, some cringe and, and others applaud, and one person's reform is another person's deform. But uh, last week, President Obama talked up a $25 million pilot program that would aim to reduce so-called frivolous lawsuits for medical malpractice and lower liability premiums paid by doctors, bringing down the cost of health care, or at least that would be the goal. Today, we'll look at uh, both sides of the medical uh, liability reform as the debate plays out for trial attorneys and for the medical profession. And our first guest today is medical practice reform expert, Professor Stephen Landsman from the Robert A. Clifford Chair in Tort Law and Social Policy from DePaul University College of Law. Stephen is a nationally recognized expert on the civil jury system, and through his ongoing study of the American jury, he's become a leader in applying social science methods to legal problems. He's a speaker at professional conferences on medical malpractice reform and is a member of the leadership of the American Bar Association litigation section. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Professor Landsman. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. And joining us next today is Darren McKinney. Darren is Director of Communications for the American Tort Reform Association. Uh, Darren joined uh, the American Tort Reform Association as its Director of Communications in 2006. Prior to that, his career in Washington, D.C. included a political appointment to the Treasury Department, where he served in the Public Affairs Office, and as the Director of Communications for two respective members of the uh, House of Representatives, uh, although Darren is uh, not a lawyer, uh, he asks us to point out, uh, we're not sure whether he's saying that in order to brag or or, uh, <laughs> or to distinguish himself. Uh, but uh, welcome to the program in any event, Darren McKinney. Thank you, Bob. We, we did reach out to the American Medical Association and the American Association for Justice, and both were unfortunately unavailable for the show. So why don't you start off with a question, Bob? Uh, well, I, I guess I, I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, I, I want to start with uh, Professor 
Landsman, and ask your perspective on this. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, some people talk about tort reform, other people talk about tort deform. Is is change needed in in the system of justice for medical malpractice cases? Well, I think it's part of a, a larger picture, and the question is: Is change needed in the way we deal with? Uh, injuries arising out of uh, medical treatment. And uh, we have a very substantial problem in the United States. Uh, Upwards of 100,000 people a year are dying because of medical mistakes in hospitals and a substantial number of others elsewhere. We've got to figure out a better way to deliver medical care and to respond to medical errors. So I think that there's a a big problem, but it's not the narrow one of what happens in the courts, but what happens in the hospitals and in the treatment rooms and how our society responds to that. Darren, how about you? What's your perspective on that? Well, no one would argue that we should be complacent or otherwise uninterested in lowering the rate of medical errors, uh, but I would argue, uh, based upon uh, my reading of American Medical Association statistics, which suggest that the rate of medical errors in the United States hasn't changed much since the 1930s, uh, I, would, I would gently argue with Professor Landsman that uh, the issue ought to be more about groundless lawsuits uh, in, with respect to medical liability and, and what we can include by, in, uh, in legislation that's now pending before Congress, uh, I, I think there ought to be a specific focus on, on limiting, reducing the number of groundless lawsuits, just as we should always look to. And to, and to the extent that legislation may be required, that by all means, we ought to be working to reduce the incidence of medical errors, but I don't see any reason why we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, certainly the president has argued that his administration is capable of that, that is to say walking and chewing gum at the same time. So here's, a, here's an opportunity for uh, the White House to show some leadership uh, in this regard. Both are problems. Both ought to be dealt with. What type of uh, reaction do you have to President Obama's speech, uh, Professor Landsman? Where do you think he's going with this? Well, I think that um, he's got it about right in terms of how important this issue is to the overall picture of uh, improvement of the delivery of health care. He mentions this issue in one paragraph of a 10-page speech. And, you know, if you look at his remarks, they are very uh, guarded indeed about what solutions there ought to be. He thinks we need to to think more about this and to be more energetic in uh, trying to uh, address the challenges of medical injury. And I think he's absolutely right. And uh, I think that his instructions to HHS to uh, begin considering patient safety initiatives, which the White House uh, outlined after the speech, is exactly right as well. I mean, the focus has got to be on the delivery of medical care. And it's interesting to note that we haven't seen a change in the rate of med mal since the 1930s. Uh, You know, we're still in the same place. If you compare aviation to that, you'd be shocked by the comparison because, you know, we don't lose folks in airplanes, but we still lose them in hospitals all the time. Some doctors have gotten it better, uh, those in anesthesia, 
And the way they did it was focusing on the medical malcases and uh, improving their practice. And uh, now they're almost as good as, as aviation. So that, you know, I think Obama got it right, but, you know, the medical establishment hasn't gotten there yet. I know that a lot of people, when they think about tort reform, they're thinking about perhaps caps on damages. Uh, and yet there's been a lot of discussion lately about other ways uh the, the medical liability system might be reformed, everything from talking about uh, uh, healthcare providers apologizing <laughs> when they do something wrong uh, uh, to uh, requiring review panels uh, in certain cases. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on what uh, kinds of changes might be bandied about uh, this time and what might be talked about? Darren, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, Bob, you are, as uh, as I read your resume, you are an experienced uh, uh, mediation leader uh, working in arbitration from time to time and so forth, and a uh, rather once notorious judicial hellhole, as my group likes to call them, <laughs> that is to say, particularly unfair uh, civil court jurisdiction throughout the country. One uh, a perennial judicial hellhole for years was little Madison County, Illinois, down in the southwestern portion of the state. Uh, they have been reforming themselves uh, at least since 2006 when a new chief judge by the name of Ann Callis was elected among a variety of uh, various reforms she has brought to bear there uh, has been a voluntary arbitration for medical liability claims. And while not surprisingly, uh, some of the personal injury lawyers at first resisted her efforts, uh, it is now the, the case that uh, a considerable majority, last I knew uh, by a poll, and this is probably a better part of a year old, so I'm not claiming it's cutting-edge information, but some 67% of, of uh, personal injury lawyers practicing in that court were ultimately pleased uh, with the uh, arrangement there in that their clients uh, are more promptly and more fairly compensated for real injuries. And, uh, you know, an arbitration process can sort uh, legitimate injuries from bogus claims uh, more readily and uh, can more equitably uh, compensate folks. If if let's say you know Bob, you and I go into a, a hospital or, or even differing hospitals, and uh, uh, we each suffer a similar injury or or the same injury uh, uh, due to uh, healthcare providers' negligence. If I've got John Edwards arguing my case, uh, I might get sixteen million dollars. If you've got Joe Blow arguing your case you might get $60,000. Uh, that is an inequity that uh, arbitration and, and health courts and some other reforms that have been proposed and even tried in some places around the country uh, are designed to ameliorate. Again, not that, not that the system is necessarily going to be perfect, uh, but there are a variety of alternatives beyond uh, the hard limits on non-economic damages that uh, many of us in the tort reform community advocate uh, rather vigorously. How do you think that the how do you think the cost of medical malpractice insurance is having an effect on driving this debate? Well, you know, I, I think that um, 
doctors find themselves in a very hard spot. That their incomes are being um, pressed or compressed by uh, the work of the insurance companies and uh, in a number of other ways, and they are always looking for ways where they can, you know, sort of protect their income, so that any increase or any expenditure is one that they're going to look at seriously. If you look, however, at uh, the cost of uh, malpractice insurance and of the whole med-mal system, it's less than, uh, well, a little bit more than one-half of 1% of the cost of medical care in the United States. So we're really, we're really talking about very small numbers here. And while these may be numbers significant to individual doctors as a matter of bottom line, they're not much beyond that. The problem, and I, and, I, and I think that, you know, sort of experts, including uh, Professor Vidmar at Duke and Professor Baker at the University of Pennsylvania, have pointed out that insurance costs don't have really very much or almost anything to do with what's happening in the courts. They have to do with cycles of investment and cycles of claiming and uh, sort of setting premiums either too low or too high. And that when you see these per- these crises that uh, pop up every eight or ten years, what you're really seeing is insurance-related indus- insurance industry-related problems rather than anything else. Well, doesn't that really doesn't the high cost of medical malpractice insurance drive up the cost of health care, and doesn't that argue in favor of tort reform? It's an interesting question, but the answer the answer I think is no. Now, you know, you've got to think about who ought to pay for those who are injured. Uh, somebody's going to pay. We're not going to put those folks out on the street, and you know, you've got a choice. The taxpayer can pay through Medicaid, Medicare, whatever, or the person who uh, committed a negligent injury can pay through his or her insurance. And, you know, there's the challenge that, you know, you've got to find some way to address those costs and those injuries. And um, that's what insurance is about. And setting it at a fair and accurate price is uh, a social necessity. And something that, you know, we've worked at, it's not the easiest thing to sort out, but we've worked at over the course of the last few decades. Well, Darren, isn't it that, you know, doctors are going to, people are going to make mistakes. Doctors are going to make mistakes. People are going to get injured and the insurance companies are going to pay. The premiums are going to go up and the cost is going to get passed along to, uh, to the consumer. Isn't that how it works? It, it works that way uh, throughout all, all walks, all the delivery of all goods and services, of course. Um, and, and I don't want to... Uh, Professor Landsman seems like a, a wonderful human being. <laughs> and, of course, your show is set up to have a couple of guys debate a little bit. So I've got to take issue uh, with a couple of things he said, uh, not the least of which is, sure, doctors uh, argue for their own self-interest, as do we all. We wouldn't be doing this show if trial lawyers weren't fighting tooth and nail to preserve their right to bring lawsuits willy-nilly. So they, too, just as all of us, communications directors, radio hosts, you name it, we all look out for our own self-interest, as Adam Smith suggested we would and should. So there's no, you know, there's no one-sidedness there. We're all looking out uh, to better feather our nest, and you can't fault doctors for doing that. With respect to the cost imposed on our health care system, 
by uh, groundless litigation. I would, again, gently take issue with what the professor had to say in that it goes well beyond uh, a half a percent or, or a percent, and common sense would tell you this. Uh, while it's true that, and, and this is a term of art, that, that the trial bar, certainly here in Washington and, and, and around the country, have been using, as they stress this, uh, inflated number of, of uh, deaths due to medical errors on an annual basis in the country. The kind of a, uh, I've, I've been calling it kind of a misdirection play, the old the old uh, split split wing and so forth. Uh, they're 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 getting us to think about medical errors, which which we ought to be thinking about. Again, I said at the top of the show that there's no reason in the world why why we shouldn't look to improve ourselves in in that regard. Although I hearken back to the statistics since the 1930s, suggesting that for whatever reasons. Maybe medicine, maybe the practice, the human practice of medicine, isn't quite comparable uh, to the the flying of an airplane or the engineering of an airplane. But nonetheless, uh, if if forty percent of of medical malpractice lawsuits, and this is just one small area of medical malpractice lawsuits, according to a two thousand six Harvard study, are groundless. That is to say. Three percent, there's no injury, and 37 uh, percent, there was no medical error. Uh, groundless though they may be, they impose a cost because a doctor and/or a hospital has to respond to that lawsuit. They've got to hire a lawyer to do so, uh, and so forth. Their insurance rates may or may not be impacted by a by one bogus lawsuit that's that's rather quickly dismissed or or otherwise disposed of. But nonetheless. They all have to be dealt with. They all bear a cost, and you know, to, to perhaps very widely broaden the discussion here, malpractice uh, is is but one small facet of all of this, uh, uh, and and certainly the defensive medicine conservative estimates for the cost of of defensive medicine uh, range as high as as sixty billion dollars. Annually, and if you're talking about a health care bill in Congress as we currently are, that that might cost 250 to 290 billion dollars annually, according to the White House, 60 billion dollars is a big chunk, and that's a heck of a lot more than 0.5 percent. And that's again medical malpractice alone. Let's also broaden the discussion and talk about all the bogus lawsuits, particularly class actions, where tens of thousands of folks who may or may not have had a prescription of Vioxx, for example, filled at one point or another, a, a tiny, minuscule fraction of whom may or may not have had an adverse side effect. Nonetheless, they're all piling on to lawsuits against the maker of the prescription drug. And all of us, anybody who's going to pay for, in one form or another, a prescription drug from that particular drug maker for the next 30 years, are going to be paying for those lawsuits. And ask any uh, healthcare economist, and they will tell you, taking, taking litigation off the table for the moment, they will tell you that the biggest single factor uh, driving medical uh, healthcare costs during the course of the last 30 years in the United States have been the cost of, of prescription drugs and medical devices and technologies. So 
Think of all the lawsuits that, that are targeting those manufacturers that really have no business uh, being filed to begin with. Uh, you know, there, there's a gigantic cost uh, imposed by, by litigation that we ought to be talking much more comprehensively about. Yeah, but, but Darren, when, when we talk about frivolous lawsuits, I mean, anybody, you can talk about that in any context. I, I, I can file a lawsuit against my neighbor and have no good grounds for doing it, and the courts will sort that out. Uh, and we trust the courts to sort out the, the frivolous cases from the legitimate cases. Uh, what, why, I mean, is there any reason to, to create uh, a, a different way of handling cases uh, when they involve uh, certain classes of people, whether they be large corporations or, or the medical industry? Or is, or is this uh, are these special interests uh, pursuing their own agenda? And, and well, look, if, if let me to, just to give, let me just give Stephen a chance to address this because, because we heard from you on this. But Stephen, I'm just wondering what your perspective is on that. Well, I, um, I think you have to begin, first of all, with you know, what the data really show. Uh, the Atra folks are very good. And, you know, so Darren, I, I think probably, you know, is, is, is a real professional. And, you know, they have very catchy ideas like hell holes and uh, frivolous lawsuits. And, you know, if you keep saying those words loud enough and long enough, they're going to stick in some folks' minds. It's like 98,000 Let's go back, though, first of all, to the, to the inflated number of deaths, the 100,000 folks dying of medical mistakes a year in hospitals. Now, that number comes from the Institute of Medicine in the United States. And, you know, they took it very seriously when uh, they filed a report. President Clinton took it seriously, and the medical profession took it seriously. They all thought there was a real problem, and nobody denies that. And, you know, this isn't a bogus number. Then, you know, the, the impact of uh, MedMal on uh, the cost of health care, that one-half of one percent impact total on uh, our health care system, is the number comes from the Centers for Medicaid and uh, Medicare and from the Bureau of the Census. Now, maybe the government's getting it wrong. Maybe they're cooking their numbers. But, you know, I cannot for the life of me imagine why. So that it's not about catchy names. It's about what's really happening out there. And, you know, I think the data are pretty clear. It's also interesting about the Vioxx litigation that, um, you know, Vioxx, according to the Food and Drug Administration, damaged certain patients' hearts in the most serious way imaginable, leading in some cases to death. Now, not every case is a good one, but the drug created damages. And those damages were ones that the company had to pay for. It released a product that was dangerous and injurious. And, hey, the company did pay. And, you know, all of that makes sense. And if you look across the spectrum, is the system responding to these challenges? Yeah, it is. And, you know, the question is, do we draw back? Do we not address the 100,000 deaths? Do we not address the dangers of pharmaceutical products that might not be as good as they ought to be, where uh, studies have been cooked and things of that sort? You know, we can't go there. We really need to have regulation. We need to make, you know, sensible decisions. And if you look at President Obama, I mean, I think he's responded in a very sensible way. You know, most of this focus is on the delivery of health care. One paragraph in a 10-page speech focuses on the need to look at certain reforms. You know, what kinds of reforms are we talking about? Well, it's reforms with respect to safety. 
It's reporting of injuries. And the ABA, by the way, endorses that and has a program and wants to reach out to the medical community to do that. And it endorses apology. Maybe we need to train doctors to apologize. Now, you know, it's a heck of a thing, but I mean, I think we're at that place where we need to do that to make progress. All that, however, makes sense, it seems to me. Well, do we have any idea about this pilot program that we're hearing about? There's a $25 million pilot program. Uh, Darren, do you have any clue about what that's going on there? I have to be candid. I haven't, uh, I'm not remotely excited by the uh, olive branch or twig or seed, whatever you want to call it, that that the president uh, deftly offered up by way of of a political enticement uh, to some across the aisle, but $25 million is, is chicken feed when we're, when we're talking about, uh, you know, the bigger numbers here relative to the bigger numbers here. And furthermore, what do we need pilot projects for? Any number of states have enacted uh, solid medical liability reforms that have been in practice in some cases for decades. California led the way in 1975, uh, while the state of California, Lord knows, has plenty of problems with runaway litigation uh, and and a uh, uh, you know jobs fleeing the state and so forth, an economy, a, a budget that's bankrupt uh, uh, because, at least in part, due to the lawyers that are running amok there, their health care system has been largely protected from. Uh, that type of lawsuit abuse, and and as a result, uh, healthcare uh, consumers there have benefited. Similar stories can be told in in Texas and West Virginia, even uh, a notorious hellhole where medical malpractice uh, has been reformed, and and good things are happening, uh, particularly by way of accessibility uh, to healthcare. The the professor mentioned earlier on that uh, uh, the insurance crises that occasionally crop up in one state or another is is more a, a business cycle than it is an indication of, of any problem with litigation. And, and I won't even argue with him vehemently in that regard, because I think business cycles are, are a part of all business, in, including insurance, and certainly uh, that's a factor. But... The, the reality remains that, that any number of states during the course of the last 15 years have developed uh, at any given time acute shortages of physicians, particularly uh, high-risk specialty physicians. And uh, while it's all but impossible to assign a specific cost to accessibility to health care, I dare say that the the woman living in a rural county in in southeast Texas who no longer has access to an obstetrician uh, in the county hospital a 15-minute drive away, but instead might have to drive to to Houston in the middle of the night if, God forbid, there were complications with her pregnancy. Uh, I don't know what value she'd put on the convenience of having that OBGYN practicing at, at County General 15 minutes away, but you know, it can't be discounted entirely, and certainly with respect to our future. We've got, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. I, I imagine uh, the, the three of you may be as well. And while, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, we may or may not take care of ourselves fairly well, uh, we know for a fact uh, 
uh, America being the, the fattest uh, nation in world history now for the last few years, we know full well that any number of our fellow baby boomers are getting older and fatter and less healthier every day, and they are going to, we are going to collectively drop a massive uh, bomb of, of medical debt uh, onto our children and grandchildren, and we're going to need uh, more preventive care doctors, you know, that is to say uh, primary care doctors as well as specialists, and I don't think we're going to go, I don't think we're going to have a great deal of luck attracting some of our nation's best and brightest into careers uh, as medical practitioners uh, when, you know, they can be sued at the drop of a hat. So that's another factor Darren, I think we ought to think Darren, about. We need to we need to take a break at this point, and when we return, we'll take a look at medical liability reform and the next steps. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Protect your legal practice with Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency and feel confident that your professional liability insurance provides the best possible coverage for the best possible price. Whether you are establishing a new firm, adding an attorney to your team, or exploring new options for your existing firm, Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency can match your specific needs with experience unmatched in the industry. Visit us at www.landy.com for a convenient online application or call us at 800-336-5422 for prompt and personal attention. Your practice deserves the best. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're back with medical malpractice reform expert, Professor Stephen Landsman, Robert A. Clifford Chair in Tort Law and Social Policy from DePaul University College of Law, and Darren McKinney, who is the Director of Communications from the American Tort Reform Association. Uh, Darren was giving us a kind of a preview of what was going on in California. Um, Professor Lansman, why don't you give us your side of the story? Well, here's, you know, here's the story that really haunts me, I must say, when I think about medical malpractice. In the 60s and the 70s, um, uh, those who uh, were in the specialty of anesthesia were uh, the focus of a great deal of uh, successful malpractice litigation. They were taking a beating, and uh, their insurance rates as a group rose, and uh, they suffered a lot of judgments. And they got together as a, uh, as a discipline, and they said, we're going to study these lawsuits, and we're going to try and figure out from them how we can make things safer in the delivery of anesthesia. And they did that. And over the course of the 20 or 30 succeeding years, they changed anesthesia from one of the places where the most med mal judgments and the most medical malpractice uh, happened to a place that's six sigma. In other words, amongst the safest practices you can find. How did they do it? They studied the lawsuits. They understood what was wrong. They redesigned the equipment. They redesigned the protocols. They thought about the lessons that the lawsuits taught them, and they got better. Now, that seems to me to be the seminal story in this area. 
And, you know, it is the way we can improve medical care and the way we can do a better job with respect to all those patients injured or dying because of medical error. It's the place where we should begin. And, you know, the irony is so much effort uh, by uh, Darren and Atrin and so forth to turn us away from that, to turn us away from making it better, from learning from what we're doing. And that, I think, is the challenge. Uh, neither I nor any tort reformer I know, all of whom have husbands and wives and children and grandparents and nieces and nephews, want any more medical errors occurring than than necessary or or as bottom line uh, necessary per the capacity for humankind to improve itself and perfect itself, which I, I can only believe, I, at least I presume, the professor will concede is, is finite. Uh, so long as human beings are practicing medicine, and we may get to the day when, when we can rely on, on the robots and, and the computers to do it for us, but uh, until that time, uh, so long as human beings are practicing medicine, it will be just that, a practice, and it will be, uh, there will be good faith errors. No one, no tort reformer I know, and certainly not I, is sticking up for some uh, uh, habitually negligent or reckless or or drug-dependent uh, doctor stumbling into an OR someplace and, and yanking out the wrong kidney. Those individuals, A, ought to be criminally prosecuted for my money, uh, and B, otherwise dealt with uh, harshly by way of their uh, medical licensing agency state by state, uh, and perhaps federally. Maybe, maybe there's room for talk uh, about that in a health care bill. But, but that said, we're never going to eliminate entirely good faith errors in the practice of medicine. It is far too complicated uh, a concept. And, and why it is that, that we think uh, – uh, I'm all, I'm all for, for, for talking about means by which we can improve and reduce – the rate of medical errors if the professor would meet me halfway and acknowledge a need to reduce the rate of groundless lawsuits. Uh, I believe it was you, Craig, in the earlier segment suggested about, uh, well, you know, aren't courts made to, uh, you know, uh, deal with disputes between my neighbor and I, for example? Well, yeah, and if, and if your neighbor's dog, you know, eats your peach tree or, or pees on the tree and kills it or does something, you know, most jurors can kind of understand that. All, all jurors have neighbors. All jurors have, have dealt with circumstances that are, that are at least comparable and thus have a, a basis of knowledge and experience to render a fair judgment. But if, if you're going to take a, 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 a lay jury to say nothing of a lay judge uh, and put them in a position where they've got to determine whether or not a, a labeling that was authorized by the, the, the Food and Drug Administration uh, was adhered to by a prescribing physician or was otherwise off-marketed by a drug maker and, and what percentage of folks may have had a particular uh, very complicated and, and, and technical uh, uh, adverse reaction by way of uh, heart uh, rates and so forth and heartbeats. I mean, you're getting, I would, I would argue, you're getting well beyond uh, the typical lay juror and lay judge's capacity to render 
uh, fair and equitable judgments. And that's why uh, those of us on, on my side of the argument would, uh, would gently suggest, in fact, insist that we ought to at least spend some time, and if we're going to pass a massive new federal health care uh, legislation, there's certainly some room in it for reasonable limits on, on groundless litigation. I don't know how anyone could argue that there ought not be some accommodation for that. Well, those are important points. Unfortunately, we're out of time to discuss them any further today. But uh, as we always do here, before we wrap up the program, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to give us your final thoughts uh, and also let our listeners know how they can follow up with you if you if they'd like to do that. I, I wonder if, if perhaps... Uh, in, in doing that, you might uh, look in the crystal ball a little bit and, and give us your, your thoughts about what you think might uh, come out of this current round of discussions about uh, the medical malpractice liability system. And uh, Darren, let's start with you and get your closing thoughts. Yeah, well, uh, my organization is the American Tort Reform Association. We can be, uh, our website is atra.org. And anyone is certainly welcome to reach out to me via email at dmckinney, M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y, at atra.org. As far as what the future may hold, I, uh, the, the president has the numbers in, in both the House and the Senate. Uh, I'm certain he will manage uh, to pass a health care reform bill. I don't believe there will be any significant tort reform measures in it, and certainly not if the Democrats choose to use uh, the uh, the reconciliation process, kind of the nuclear option, as it's called here in Washington, to pass uh, with but 50 votes uh, a bill through the Senate. I, uh, so I'm not optimistic that there'll be much by way of tort reform, but, but one can always hope. And Stephen Lansman, you get to have the final word today. Well, thank you, sir. Um, I think for um, more information on, on the MedMal debate, certainly one could visit the uh, American Bar Association uh, website, and that's just real easy. All you need to do is Google American Bar Association, and it'll pop right up. Uh, people who would like to get in touch with me, it's S. Landsma, L-A-N-D-S-M-A, at DePaul, D-E-P-A-U-L, dot E-D-U. My sense of uh, optimism is always uh, is always great, and, and and I think we're going to see improvement. I think that we are going to uh, have improvement in the challenge of too many uh, error-related deaths and injuries, and I think that we're going to do it by doctors doing more reporting and doing very much more what the anesthesia folks uh, learned on their own, and that is looking at your mistakes and improving them. And whatever brings information to those who can make the system better, that's valuable information. And I think we've begun a process in uh, medical care with a lot of dedicated patient safety doctors of trying to do that. And that's where the energy really needs to be concentrated and where real progress, I think, uh, will be made. Well, thanks a lot to both of our guests for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. I, I out, out of uh, out of fairness to uh, our listeners, I also point out that uh, for for a contrary view to uh, that of the American Tort Reform Association, you can go to the American Association for Justice website at justice.org. Uh, thanks to both of you for taking the time to be with us. It's been a great discussion. And Craig. Uh, any closing thoughts from you on this topic? Nope. Other than, you know, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
We'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.